Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. And I want to talk just briefly tonight about demonstrating God's power. Demonstrating God's power. One of my concerns is that as we go through this season is that everybody understands that God wants to use you. So it's not, it's not like there's only a few people he's going to use. God wants to use every single person in this room. And in order for God to do what he wants to do in touching this area and this state with his power, it's going to take every single person being used by God, empowered by God, in faith, moving out of their comfort zone, and being willing to pray for people, to believe God's going to show up in this situation, to not be overcome by the insecurity that says, well, you know, I don't, who am I? And I don't know how God could use me. And my prayer life isn't as good as somebody else, you know, and all of the things that the enemy wants to do in people's minds and hearts to neutralize them so that they won't step out in faith and do the thing that God wants to do through them. One of the things that's really important for us to remember as we're walking with the Lord, I thank the Lord for the Word of God. And anybody who's been here for any length of time knows I am passionate about the Word of God. But the kingdom of God is not just a matter of talk, it's a matter of power. And Jesus was the model teacher. He never separated teaching from doing. In fact, in John chapter 3 and verse 2, Nicodemus comes to him at night. Nicodemus is the number one teacher in Israel. And he comes to Jesus at night because he's afraid of what people will think if he goes to him during the day. And he came at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. How do they know that? For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. They understood that God's teachers didn't just talk, they did. And Jesus is the model of that. And let me just say this, he's not just doing what he does because he's God. If if that's how he does what he does, then the best we can do is marvel at it and say, wow, that's amazing. But what he did is when he came To earth, he set aside the prerogatives, the privileges of deity, and he made himself dependent on the Holy Spirit so that at his baptism, the Spirit of God descends on him, drives him into the wilderness where he he fasts for 40 days. He comes out of that, moved by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to do the ministry God has called him to do. But he never does it unilaterally because it's not like he says, well, you know, I'm God, I can do what I want in certain situations. No, Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing. So he is empowered by the spirit, dependent upon the leading of the father and the empowerment of the spirit to do the ministry. He does why? Because he's leaving us an example First Peter says that you and I would follow in his footsteps. In other words, this is the pattern he's laying out for you and me. Not just for preachers, 
for believers, for followers of Christ. So you watch it in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. He went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Can you imagine every disease, every sickness? Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, he went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Then he says to the apostles in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5, he sends them out with the following instructions. As you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near, heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. It's not enough just to preach. It's not enough just to talk. There is a place for teaching. There is a place for preaching. But we have to do. We have to heal. Let me say this as well. That as you heal, tell people about Jesus. So it's not enough just to even pray for people who are injured, who are hurt, who are sick, who need healing. But when you pray for them, tell them about the one who is the source of that healing. His name is Jesus, and tell them the good news of the gospel. So he commissions the 12. Then in Luke, we find he commissions the 70, and he says to them, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. You see it again in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. I'm just giving you some scriptures so you get the idea that it's not just what we say, it's what we do. And it's not just what we do, it's what we say. So we're, we're going to minister to people, and then we're going to tell them about Jesus, or we're going to tell them about Jesus and minister to them, but we're going to do both. And if you only do one, you have a one-dimensional ministry, and that's not what Jesus intended. Paul says this, I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. He says, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. We have not fully proclaimed Christ unless we've done it with signs and wonders. In 1 Corinthians, I mentioned this verse, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. Now, let me just say this. As followers of Christ, we have to require of ourselves doing with power. You say, well, that, you know, John, I'm not sure I'm comfortable doing that. Listen, the Lord loves you, but he couldn't care less about your comfort. He's concerned about your growth in him. He's concerned about the level of your faith. He's concerned that you have a vibrant faith, that you have an obedient faith, that if you love him, you're willing to do what he asks you to do. That if you're following him, why do you call him Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I asked Jesus said? And so the issue for us is we have to require of ourselves things that are beyond ourselves. So that doing signs and wonders and praying for the sick and seeing people healed, it's impossible unless he helps us. But we have to force ourselves to step out and to do that. I want to ask you, are you doing that? Are you 
open to what the Lord is speaking to you? Are you demonstrating God's power, not only with the words that you say, there's power certainly in the Word of God, but are you demonstrating the power of the Spirit when you, by faith, pray for people regarding the impossibilities that they face in life? Here's why this is important. It's more than just, I mean, I, I think we're in a place where God is moving in power, and so if we're a part of what he's doing, we're going to be doing that. But there is a value aside from that in terms of our growth in Christ. And, and here's the reason why. Because if we reduce our walk with Christ to merely increasing in knowledge, it can lead to a place of pride. Remember, Paul says to the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. If we have an increase of knowledge without an increase of God's presence and power upon us, invariably that knowledge will cause people to become proud. It's in the trenches of seeking to minister to people who are facing impossibilities that we learn to become totally dependent upon God, and that short-circuits the development of pride. Now listen, you may not be very good at praying for the sick, but just because any one of us are lousy at what God calls us to do does not mean we don't have to do it. You may not be good at it. That's immaterial. The only way you'll get good is like everything in life, practice. We need to be willing to step out in faith. I'm asking, are you? You're never going to demonstrate, none of us will demonstrate the, the power of God if we're not willing to put ourselves out there. So I want to give you just four simple steps for cultivating a lifestyle that demonstrates God's power. Number one, you have to be willing to take risks. You have to be willing to take risks. I liked what Jabin Chavez said. He, he defined risks this way. Risk is leaving what you know for what God knows. I thought that was really good. It's leaving what you know for what God knows. You have to be willing to risk. You have to be willing to step out and pray for somebody. You have to be willing to declare to them the power of God and, and believe that in that moment, God's going to honor the declaration of your telling them about him. Or that in that moment, and I think one of the things that causes a lot of people, a lot of people aren't listening to God. They're, they're, they're not hearing God speak to them, and I am just telling you, God is speaking. You, you say, I just don't ever hear God speak to me. It's, it's not that he's not speaking to you. It's that you're not listening. I don't, I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just simply saying he speaks all the time. One of the things I'm doing right now, and, and the way I read through devotionally in the Bible, I don't ever want to just read for my next sermon. I want to read uh, large quantities of the Word of God as much as I can. So what I do is I use the one-year Bible. I've done it since I was in my 20s. It's what I read. And so as I'm going through it this time and um, doing it, I, at different times I underline different things. This time I'm underlining every time it says the Lord said. I, you, it just is stunning how much the Lord says. He's got a lot to say. 
And if he had a lot to say in the Bible, it's because he's telling us, I have a lot to say to you and to me. God is speaking all the time. The, the issue is, are you listening? Are you getting alone with him where you can hear him? Are you, are you listening? Are you, are you acting on what he tells you to do? And not just in church. I mean, it, I mean, hopefully everybody's dialed in and hearing the Lord speak to our hearts now. But the, the greater issue is what you do with the other, other 168 hours a week. Are you listening to him when you're in the grocery store? Are you listening to him when you're at work? Are you listening to him when you're at the gas station? Are you listening to him uh, as you're traveling, as you're on vacation? Are you listening to him in the places you go? Are you sensitive to what's happening around you? Are you aware of other people and not just yourself? Because oftentimes a self-centered, self-focused life works against seeing the needs of others around us. And, and God wants us to see what's happening around us. And he wants to speak to our hearts so that we might be his hand extended to people. So I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you that as you go out to tonight, and we're going to at the end of the, of the message pray that God would speak to every person. And that as you go out through the week, you would, you would lay hands on people you don't know. Listen, at some time in, in this whole journey, it's got to move outside these four walls. If it stays in the four walls of this church, it will die in this church. And the reason why God is doing what he's doing is because God wants to, to build your faith, build our faith, our confidence, so that as we go out into the world, we, we have the confidence to believe that what he did in church, he'll do out there. Here's what I love. When we, when we have people stand in the aisle, the, the number of people healed just by getting into the aisle. And I mean, there's a number of people healed this way too when they come down front. But when people do that, it's just people gathering around them and just praying. Listen, you, you don't have to be a professional at it. You don't have to be a, a pastor. You don't have to be a minister to be effective. You just have to believe God's going to show up. You have to be willing to take risks. I like what Bill said, Bill Johnson said this to me, and, and you, know, you can tell he's influenced my thinking on some things because I think he's on the money, but he says, I don't trust anybody who hasn't failed. You know, if, if you say, but I prayed for somebody, it didn't happen. Good. That means the next time it will. And the more people you pray for, the more people you're going to see healed. The fewer people you pray for, the fewer people you're going to see healed. That's just, that's just how that works. And the more you step out in faith, the more you will learn to step out in faith. But if the heavens have to part every single time for you to do it, you're rarely going to do it. It's a prompting. It's a thought. It's that still small voice. It's the Lord saying, go pray for them. It's, it's you parking your car and the Lord saying as you're going in to, to the mall or wherever it's you're, you're going, um, as you're going into Walmart, there's going to be a person in there and you're going to see them with a brace on their leg. Pray for them to be healed. There's going to be some, I mean, it, it, the Lord can speak in a variety of ways. He's going to speak to you. Number two, recognize how dependent 
truly dependent you are on God. Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, this is the thing. It's, it's, it's not your power. You can't heal anybody. I can't heal anybody. Any more than you can't save anybody, I can't save anybody. Jesus does the saving. Jesus does the healing. Jesus said, you can ask anything in my name, and I will do it. Who's doing it? He's doing it, right? So we're dependent upon him. And one of the things that works against demonstrating the power of God in our life is when we don't recognize our dependence and don't cultivate our dependence. In John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, what does that mean? If you abide in me, if you live in me, if you're walking close to me. So it's, it's aware of his presence and aware of his word. It's aware of his presence and thinking about his word. It's, it's cultivating the presence of God in your life aside from the presence of God we experience in this place. He says, if you do that, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given you. That's an amazing statement. What's so interesting is he doesn't do what most Christians want to do with that verse. They want to say, well, you know, I know it says that, but, you know, it's not really true unless this and this and this, and then they want to go through all these lists of things, qualifiers. Jesus is happy to let the statement stand on its own. That if you live in him and his word is living in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So really, what's it take to demonstrate God's power? Just have the presence of God on your life. Just walk close to God. Just be thinking about God. And when you're thinking about God, God's going to speak to you. And in that moment, whatever he speaks to you in his command is the power to do it. Right? Number three, don't become full of yourself. I think, I think maybe a better way to think about that is, is not just, I'm not talking about pride. I'm talking about self-centered thinking where all we think about is us. Where we have a tendency to only think of how it affects us, how we'll look, how we'll feel, how we'll think, how all those things. What will I say? What will I do? What if this doesn't happen? Then what am I going to... Do you see, all those questions have to do with self. How is it going to affect me? How is it going to make me look? What if it doesn't work out? Then what am I going to say? I'm going to look stupid. Or, or, or what, if, what if I get in a situation... And all those things are self-centered thinking. On the one hand, we don't want to think more of ourselves than we ought. Paul says this, and... In Romans 12, 3, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. And also, can I just say, don't think you're worse than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. How do we measure ourselves? We measure ourselves by the faith God has given us. We, we measure it by, by the faith, by the exercise of faith, by, by where we sense a grace on our life. But we have, to, we have to be careful at that point. Once we, once we recognize where there's a grace on our life and we begin to walk in that grace, and then he lists several different um, 
abilities, spiritual abilities that God gives. It could be leading, giving, showing mercy, serving, all teaching, different kinds of gifts. Function in those gifts, yes. But at the same time, when it comes to demonstrating God's power, we have to get our eyes off of ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 3, and, and this, is a, this is a passage I've been thinking a lot about. I told you the story a few weeks ago about, you know, praying for somebody, nothing happening, going, you know, to my time with the Lord and saying, God, I don't get it. Um, how come nothing happened? And the Lord was quick to say, because you made it about you. You were thinking about you. And as long as it's about you, you're not going to see the power of God displayed to the degree that I want to do it in your life. And so at that point, I was like, Lord, what do I do? And, and I felt like the Lord really has directed me. And so I've just been living in this passage. Um, you could pray this for me, and you ought to pray it for yourself, and we ought to pray it for the church. I'm praying it for you and for me. I pray that out of his glorious riches, Paul says, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So what all of us need is the spirit of God to touch us at the core of who we are. And what will happen, it's, it's not in that moment. The first thing that needs to happen to us is not that suddenly we're, we're powerful and able to pray for people, but the first thing that should happen when the spirit of God touches you is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, Christ is comfortable living in you. When the Spirit of God touches you, the presence of the Lord settles on you. Christ is at home in you. I want to ask you, is Christ at home in your heart? I mean, are, are there things in your life that you've let into your life that make Christ uncomfortable? could be bitterness, jealousy, anger, lust, greed. I mean, those things can make Christ uncomfortable, and we need the power of God to come in and make Christ so real to us, and we so desire him that he's at home in our heart. And then watch what happens. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, because again, it takes a power we don't have, a power that comes from the Spirit for us to be able to understand something that is really critical to seeing God use us and really critical to us demonstrating the Spirit of God's power in the lives of other people, that you might have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ and then watch this, and to know this love. Uh, the NLT says to experience this love that is beyond understanding. I mean, it's a love that is so great that you can't even, you, the best you can do is experience it because you'll never understand it. Again, there are some things you'll never, you'll never read or study your way in the Bible into an experience with God's love that you can't understand. You need the Spirit of God to come and blow that up in your mind in a way that humanly you and I are incapable of. And he says that you might watch. Once you know the love of Christ, so once Jesus, you love him most, 
and you love people more, then watch what happens. Then you love yourself. You will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So the issue is, listen, when, when you love Jesus most and you love people more, then you're not worried about you. You're just in love with him. That's, that's how you would process. That's how you would tell where you're at on the spectrum of really experiencing his love. Do you love him so much that you're not worried about yourself because you just love him so much? You know, when you really love somebody, I mean, when you, people fall in love and, you know, you, it's all you think about. When people are dating and they're engaged, I mean, they just, all they think about, they can talk hours, they can, they would do anything for that other person. And, and so that, that sense of, listen, whatever that other person asks, you would do it if you could. That's the kind of response. You're loving Jesus, and now you're not only loving him, but you're loving others. You're not as worried about how you're going to look as you are about what that person's going through and how desperately they need the power of God to touch them. And you're more concerned about the sleepless nights they've had. You're more concerned about the pain they're in. You're more concerned about meeting God and knowing God than you are about how you're going to look or not look. And then when that happens, watch, you're filled to the fullness of the measure of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or think. In other words, at that point now, you're doing things you can't even begin to imagine you would do. Why? Because you've forgotten about yourself and you're in love with Jesus and you love others. And when that happens, you're going to demonstrate the power of God. Finally, let me just say this just quickly. Always seek more of God in his presence because you love him more today than you did yesterday. I mean, the idea is that as we go through this time, if your love for the Lord has not increased, then you're missing the whole message of what's happening. If your desire for his presence and hey, you're at the Wednesday night prayer meeting, so I feel like in a very real sense, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. But I'm just saying for all of us, the, the evaluation is, do I love Jesus more today than I did yesterday? And am I cultivating and doing the things in my life that will cause me to love him even more tomorrow? So it's this journey and, and we're doing it. We're falling in love with him more and more and we're experiencing his love more and more. And we're aware of him more and more. And a part of this that we haven't talked much about, but we're going to be talking about in, in the weeks to come is an awareness of his holiness, of his complete otherness and the fearsomeness of that. Um, not that we're, well, I, I mean, I can't say not that you're not afraid because there is a place in every revival. Let me just tell you what happens in revivals. In every revival, there is a place where a holy fear of God grips people. Jonathan Edwards in the, in the uh, Great Awakening, the First Great Awakening, he preached a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which most people today would be like, oh, how can he say that to people? But he preached this message, and here's what he did. He purposed in his, in his heart that he did not want to move people with his, with his own emotion or with his voice intonation and inflection. So he said, 
I'm gonna preach it in a monotone voice so there's no part of me moving people. And the Spirit of God came down on that church in Northampton and people were grabbing the pews afraid they were gonna fall into hell. Afraid instantly of the, you know, you say, what is that? Well, it's like Peter in the boat when, when he has the miraculous catch in Luke 5 and, and he sees the power of God. And what does he do? He turns to Jesus and he says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a wicked man. Instantly, when you're aware of the presence of God, it's like Isaiah who sees the Lord high and lifted up and his train fills the temple. And what's his first response? It's not like, wow, this is really cool. I don't believe I get to see this. He's like, woe is me. The word woe is cursed. I'm cursed. I'm damned. I'm doomed. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. Uh, some theologians believe he had a problem with profanity. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And what did the angel do? He took a coal off the altar and he put it on his lips and purified his mouth. But it started when, when to behold the glory of God is to have an awesome awareness that, that just borders on a holy fear. Not an unholy fear, but a holy fear. And if people aren't saved, they, they fear going to hell and run to him. I'm just telling you, that's what's coming. That's what's coming. And it will be... It will be wonderfully powerful and will transform everybody's life. But I don't know about you. I just want to see the power of the Lord demonstrated through you. In this place, yes, but outside these walls, most of all. And that's what God wants to do. He's sending you. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. He's sending you. He's sending you out. He's sending you to your family. He's sending you to your friends. He's sending you to your neighborhood. He's sending you to your business. He's sending you to the place where you shop and you, and you, you purchase things. He's sending you, and he's saying, go. And what you and I need in this moment is we need him to empower us, right? For some, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. For others, you need to be refilled. And for all of us, we need to be in the presence of the Lord because as we're in the presence of the Lord, He changes us. At noon today, we were here in the, and, and talked about some of these things. And I mean, many of us were on the floor. It was, it was a powerful time in the presence of the Lord. Just you're in His presence and He changes you. I went out of that time. You could tell, wow, that God did something. And he wants to do something in you.